0: There's nothing in the world quite like Rodeo Drive. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave. Hello and welcome to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. We are coming out of lockdown.
1: Is it time to dump the sweatpants? I have stocked up on about six evening gowns. Today, three
0: people tell us their pandemic dressing story and predict what we'll be wearing when we get back to the outside world you'll hear from Beverly Hills Realtor,
1: Rainy Williams. I am ready to dress. People are ready to step out. They're ready to dance. They're ready for events. They're just ready to go. And I am right there with them.
0: We'll talk to the law professor and fashion historian, Richard Thompson
2: Ford. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see an explosion of new, very dramatic fashions, um, very sumptuous fashions, fashions, that seemed to be kind of on the decline before COVID as everyone got more and more casual. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see those coming back.
0: And fashion columnist Rebecca Suwardi will give
3: us her takeaway from the runways. I think it's this overall feeling of safety and ensconcing yourself, whether it is In a blazer or in a cocoon coat, it's that top layer that is a shield between you and the world, a world that has been very unkind to us this past year. That's all coming up. But first, let's get the latest on the street from
0: Kathy Gohari, vice president of the Rodeo Drive Committee. It's one year after COVID-19 was declared a pandemic, And now it seems that life is returning, like spring blooms, to Rodeo Drive.
4: Hello, Kathy. Good morning. Hi, how are you? I would like to talk to you about a period of
0: renewal which is set for Rodeo Drive now that red-tier reopenings have been announced. Tell us how the street is preparing for red-tier reopenings.
4: Very exciting. You can imagine we have never, ever in the history of our lives been so glued to the news and the TV and the new instructions that are given to us daily. This red tier is good for us all. Um, It continues to be in that direction of hope and improvement for all, not just retail, but restaurants. You know, as I've mentioned before, It's a whole community, you know, when restaurants are busier, retail is busier, the city is busier, the streets are busier, and there's more life out there. Mm. What are the changes we may be seeing from, say, window
0: displays, new collections dropping, and customer engagement? As
4: of now, it, it is a whole different time for us you know spring collections are in the windows you see all sorts of installations in the stores Um, and pretty much everybody is trying to put the last year behind us and trying to do the new normal yeah
0: we're also seeing a sort of resurgence of the red carpet you know with the grammys the golden globes the oscars are coming up that surely will bring more energy to
4: the street too Absolutely, you know that the stylists are up and down the street trying to find looks for their talent, so all of that creates energy you know just just people being out there on the street is energy. more people are getting vaccinated, more people are feeling comfortable to come out and about still safely, still wearing their masks. but they feel i mean i can 't tell you how many phone calls i 've had in the past week or so saying we 're coming out of the house for dinner for the first time in a year. Mm.
0: So let's turn to the main topic of our episode, and that is the renewal of our wardrobe, which seems to be up ahead anyway because of the onset of spring. But we're talking about homeware or casuals and whether we'll still be flaunting this mode of dress in our vaccinated and post-pandemic world. What's your opinion?
4: I think a bit of this homeware or what we have made homeware to be in the past year is absolutely going to stick around. You know, we hear in the news all the time that many of the offices might never go back to the traditional office um, atmosphere that they had before. Many, many, many people have learned that they can work from their kitchen table just as well as they could in a cubicle in their offices. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think there are many of us, including me, that's bursting to dress up and coming up with new ways or new excuses to wear something new and something more than just my house
0: That's Kathy Gohari, Vice President of the Rodeo Drive Committee. As more and more people get vaccinated and start returning to something of a normal life, it's time to take stock of our wardrobe. After all, much of us spent the last year in sweatpants and running
1: shoes, but not Rainy Williams. Well, I took a note from our dear friend, Carl Lagerfield, (laughs) who said basically to paraphrase, if you, when you get to the point of sweatpants, it's really, it's over.
0: Rainey Williams co-founded the Beverly Hills Estates with her husband, Brandon. That's an ultra high-end real estate company. One of their 2020 sales, for example, was a Beller mansion. It sold for $94 million. The house has 12 bedrooms, 21 bathrooms, three kitchens, a state-of-the-art movie theater, and a bowling alley.
1: The bowling alley is a four-lane Louis Vuitton bowling alley that was custom for this home and curated for this particular buyer that is very much into luxury, designer, everything. As you can tell, Rainy moves in a world where you dress for success. And then came the pandemic. I believe I felt sheer panic. I remember sitting at the dining room table and looking at my husband, who's my business partner, and thinking, we are going to come to a screeching halt. And this is probably the most terrifying thing that we've ever faced and never thought that um, we would be facing in our lifetime. And we sat through about a week of quietness. We lost about five escrows. And by week two, our phone was ringing off the hook. People wanted to get into homes. They wanted to show homes. They wanted to shop for homes. Uh, seller said, bring them in, mask them up, glove them up, we'll go sit outside, let's get this baby sold. And we were like, okay.
0: It turns out that the sale of luxury homes boomed in 2020. People plunked down huge sums for houses in LA that offered sun and plenty of private outdoor space. Rainey and Brandon Williams were busy. They even added a new business to the Beverly Hills Estates, a members' club flamboyantly styled by their in-house design firm, Disco Volante. Much of their work, however, was done from home. So Rainey could have dressed down a bit, but that was just not her thing. She's weathered the pandemic
1: in Valentino, Chanel, and Manolo's. So I did wear sweatpants and I started in the first week. I thought, well, I would wake up and I would think, you know, well, what do I do? Because probably a lot like you and a lot like so many people listening and we've never stopped. We've all been on a hamster wheel our whole lives from school and you've got to do this and you've got to get into college and then you've got to get a job. And, you know, and so I didn't know how to stop. And so when I stopped, I tried it and it felt incredibly wrong. I felt bad. I felt uncomfortable. I felt schleppy. I felt like I'm not myself. And so I started then, I did the sweats on the bottom and I would start, when I would start taking Zooms, I would do the top. I would do a button down and I would do face and hair. I would do makeup and hair. And that gave me a reason to get out of bed uh, outside of my children. And I started feeling good. I kind of got in my body again. And I was like, okay, you know, to hell with this. I'm not going to wear sweats. I'm not going to wear pajamas all day. So I would literally get up, get showered, get in a full outfit, do the hair and do the makeup in case I had a Zoom. And then if I had a call to get out of the house to do a showing or something, I was ready. Don't leave your chair, but talk us through your wardrobe. What's in there? Uh, My wardrobe is, you know, it's, it's serious. I take my wardrobe very, very serious. It's highly curated and it has taken me a long time to get it there. You know, I am a self-made girl. So I've always loved fashion. And when I had to thrift, I did, but I always found a way to get Chanel. And if I had to get secondhand, I did. And I would pair it with a Zara bottom or whatever the case may be. And my success has afforded me the luxury of shopping. I would say my closet ranges from a very vast section of evening gowns because I've been very heavy into philanthropy and galas and throwing events um, for the last 10 or 15 years. And and then a really, really large section of resort wear that I never touch because I go on vacation once a year. I'm a workhorse, you know. And then the rest of my closet is my uniform. And my uniform is comprised of a pencil skirt. Tons and tons of blouses, jackets. I have very little casual wear, I will say. Why? Because, you know, I'm not casual. And I've tried to dabble with it because it's such on trend right now. Everybody wears sneakers right now. So what about you? What what style of shoes are you wearing? Manolos in every color. And then um, John Vito Rossi in every color. A classic pointy toe stiletto in every color and mostly neutrals. And I'm on construction sites a lot. So when I do go on the construction sites, if um, I have a moment, what I do is I have a pair of um, Christian Dior combat boots in my car and I just slip those on. But I have to tell you, I mean, maybe it's because I'm shorter. I just don't feel comfortable. I don't feel my power in a flat and I feel it in a stiletto. I read in the New York Times that you have a grab-and-go rack. What's that about? The grab-and-go rack uh, was taught to me by one of my really big clients who's a stylist. And she said, curate the most perfect, fully uh, ready-to-go rack that you can grab if weather permitting or meetings permitting takes you from Monday to Sunday, But what it consists of is perfectly put together outfits with jewelry and a shoe. And it's basically just ready to go. There's blazers, there's suits, and then it ends with a caftan with a tight dress under it. That's more evening and that's it. And then there's three belts on the end and that I kind of just update periodically. I wear something a few times and I'll take it off and then freshen it. And what it does is it, I don't have to plan outfits at night. And I think the key to success is organization.
0: You and your husband
1: and business partner, Brandon, first bonded over clothes. Tell us the story. That is very true. And it's one of my uh, most prized stories that my husband tells because when we first met, we were in our cubicles at the firm that we started at uh, fifteen, almost 16 years ago now. And um, I wasn't successful. I was 25 years old and um, I was pretty much thrift shopping. And I had a vintage umpire waist embroidered Valentino dress. It zipped up the back and was fitted on the top and sleeveless and it was summertime. And then it umpired out and I Um, would say that for a 25 year old, it was probably mature. It was very Jackie Kennedy-esque and she's my idol and uh, a fashion icon. And it was probably not so appealing to a man, I would think. It wasn't very sexy or, you know, the umpire waist tends to be more matronly and um, it caught his eye. My husband went to school for fashion. He studied at FITM and he became an actor. He fell into acting. He grew up in Beverly Hills and was discovered. And he had great success in it. And he turned 30, sort of kept getting typecasted and said, I need a career. We bonded over this dress because he complimented it. And that was it. It was like a one and done. He said it. So it was a fashion connection at first sight. Do you coordinate your looks now? Oh my gosh. It is so funny that you say that. We never coordinate our looks, but yet we always walk. His clo- my closets to the left His is to the right, and we have a joint bathroom. So we usually come out of our closets and meet. We're always wearing the same thing or the same color. And guess what's worse? Sometimes I'm like, bitch, stole my look. Let's say a
0: year from now, the pandemic has blown over. What are you going to be wearing?
1: Well, I will tell you that when this is all over, I mean, I have stocked up on about six evening gowns must have been in a blackout during pandemic online shopping i have no idea what happened there's sizes that don't fit me post pandemic because i ate my way through the pandemic but i will tell you that i am ready to dress you hear this analogy so much the roaring 20s like people are ready to step out they're ready to dance they're ready for events they're just ready to go and i am right there with them
0: was Rainey Williams, co-owner of the Beverly Hills Estates. Face masks and work-from-home wear may rewrite fashion, but historic events have shifted fashion rules and regulations dating back through time. Richard Thompson Ford is a professor at Stanford Law School. He typically focuses on critical race theory and employment discrimination, but he's always been fascinated by fashion. And he has just published a new book called Dress Codes, How the Laws of Fashion Made History.
2: In the course of writing this book, I found that there were a lot of rules. Um, Laws and workplace rules and also um, social customs, mores or etiquette around fashion. And when they come into conflict with social change, often we have a period of time in which we get a proliferation of new rules. Sort of trying to keep up with changes in the social structure, changes in the economy, and changes in social roles that are reflected in new fashions.
0: So beyond masks, what are these laws of fashion? I talked to Richard about rules past and present, about what we can learn from past pandemics about changes in dress codes, and also how this pandemic has impacted his own personal style.
2: Well, for a long period of time in um, European history, for instance, there were explicit laws um, enforced by government that regulated what people could wear. So for instance, around the late Middle Ages, when what we consider modern fashion really came into existence, and it was a result of new techniques and tailoring that allowed people to create clothing that was much more um, expressive than clothing in the past, which had always been draped. So this new tailored clothing uh, gave rise to a lot of expressive fashion. And people in power used those new fashions as a form of statecraft. They really used them as a way to express their own magnificence. And these were societies that were uh, in many ways governed by spectacle. A lot of the population was illiterate, so visual communication was extremely important to people in power. They wore opulent and magnificent clothing to show that they were the authority, that they were above the common person and deserved respect and deference. And so what happened was when other people started to use that clothing, let's say wealthy merchants or people from the common classes, it was a threat to the social order. And they actually passed laws in order to prohibit people from wearing that kind of high status clothing.
0: Nope. In time and consider a few historical periods, maybe one or two, which are similar to what we are going through now. Tell us about these periods and how they impacted people's approach to dressing.
2: Well, one of the periods of history that I start talking about in the book involves the late Middle Ages to the early Renaissance. Now, a lot of things are going on then that are parallel to what's going on now. So, for one thing, uh, the economy is changing and it's changing rapidly and there's a new class of people who are acquiring wealth now some of this has to do with a pandemic the the plague which swept through Europe in waves and devastated Europe to a degree that far eclipses anything that's happening with COVID. So, for instance, in Florence, some historians estimate that within the period of six months, something like 80% of the population died of the plague. So much, much more severe than anything we're experiencing now. But um, a consequence of that was that when they came out of the plague, the economy had completely shifted, and a new group of people whose labor was scarce had greater control. They were able to demand higher compensation. And they were now in a position of an ascendant social class. And a consequence of that was a new kind of relationship to high-status fashion. So a group of people who couldn't afford very expensive clothing now could. And they were asserting themselves. Um, And so this explosion in new, um, innovative, sumptuous, spectacular fashion happened in part as a result of the end of a pandemic. Another example uh, might be in the 1920s. So uh, we had the Spanish flu in 1917. By the 1920s, you get the Flapper movement, and it's a moment of liberation for women. Now, there's more going on than the pandemic, of course. There's also World War I, uh, and, and that changed the relationship between women and the economy.
0: The suffragette movement also.
2: Yes. And the suffragette movement is a part of this new move toward women's liberation. Um, But you do get new fashions and dramatically new fashions, fashions that are streamlined, fashions that are more practical for women, but also fashions that are dramatic and expressive in new ways.
0: People are exhaling and actually breaking down in tears after they are vaccinated. (laughs) During our vaccination period, you know, Netflix has reported the rise of costume fantasies. Bridgerton, for example, people Mm -hmm. are gravitating toward these costume spectacles. How will this vaccination period impact the way we dress?
2: I expect that as we come out of the necessity for isolation, people will want to be out on the town. And so I, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see an explosion of you know new, very dramatic fashions, um, very sumptuous fashions, fashions that seemed to be kind of on the decline before COVID as everyone got more and more casual. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see those coming back and to see references to earlier periods in history that people associate with that kind of opulent display and celebration. So, you know, Bridgerton's a nice example, but I expect there are other historical periods that, you know, we just kind of intuitively associate with being out and about and having a good time.
0: I'd like to ask you about a dress code rule or perhaps law that we're all dealing with right now, and that is wearing masks. Yes. Why, in your opinion, did masks become so politicized?
2: Oh, that's a really interesting question. I think there's several reasons. You know, Obviously, we live in such a polarized time, and the politics surrounding the COVID crisis lent themselves to politicizing the mask. But I think there's more than that. The act of obscuring the face is something that has a lot of cultural resonance, particularly in Western societies. Um, and so it's something that There was kind of a a natural built-in resistance to, in some sense, um, that the face is the main way people express individual personality, which is extremely important to us, um, that, you know, people obscuring their face um, in the West is usually a sign of, um, you know, a powerful symbol of some kind, either of retreat from the social or of an attempt to obscure something and hiding behind a mask. And I think all of those things also contributed to politicizing masks.
0: Mm. Men seem to grapple with wearing a mask. Aside from the politics, is it because it's, people find it so restricting?
2: I think you're absolutely right, Bronwyn, that um, it, it's something, it's a bigger issue for men. Now, part of the reason for that is that in Western uh, culture, women have always been required to wear constricting garments, Um, it's been a consistent part of women's clothing whether it's um, head coverings, whether it's corsets, whether it's heavy draped garments that make it difficult to move around, Whereas for men, the trend in clothing has been consistently toward more streamlined, more easy to wear type things, where the necktie was kind of one of the last vestiges of more symbolically formal attire. So I think it's true that the mask seems like a throwback to a lot of people and feels quite uncomfortable and almost emasculating to some men.
0: Something I have noticed on a few Zoom meetings is that I've taken some with men who are actually wearing a dress shirt and a tie. And I was interested to see Prince Harry wearing a blazer and a dress shirt when he was talking to Oprah. And I'm wondering now, as we kind of ease out of lockdown and people are, you know, really hankering for some normalcy, will we see a revival in maybe business semi-formal?
2: Yes, I expect you're going to see some of both. So you get on Zoom and you um, maybe don't want to wear the suit and tie because that seems a little too contrived, but um, you do want to wear some clothing that communicates, one, that you're taking the event seriously, so you didn't just roll out of bed, and two, as clothing often does, status. So clothing that looks expensive, clothing that looks exclusive. And so there's now this trend toward this recognizably high status, um, you you know, athletic wear or leisure wear that people are wearing towards Zoom that also has a certain kind of professional connotation, although it's at the same time still relaxed. I think we're seeing a lot of that. And I expect um, as long as Zoom is a part of our lives, we'll continue to see that.
0: So Richard, where will your personal style go next?
2: You know, I'm old enough that the trendiest fashions really aren't for me anymore. But um, there's always something interesting going on with new refinements on what are essentially classic menswear, and that's what I'm interested in. And I still see a lot of really interesting innovation throughout the um, tailoring and fashion sector that I'm, you know, can't wait to have a chance to explore.
0: Richard Thompson Ford is the author of the new book, Dress Codes, How the Laws of Fashion Made History. As you heard, the pandemic has prompted many of us to dress up for Zoom. And we are thinking about how we will dress for a new normal. Meanwhile, Fashion Month has just presented the designer ready-to-wear collections for Autumn Winter 2021. These collections are momentous because they're showing us what men and women might wear in our post-pandemic world. Here to help us make sense of it all is Rebecca Suardi. She writes a fashion column for Forbes.com.
3: We have tried to predict so much what will happen during this pandemic and we've uh, seem to be very much off the mark. I think what we're seeing, though, is a sense of an overall sense of dressing smartly and comfortably. We are seeing a lot more trousers and you know spacious sweaters. Uh, and there's definitely a good dose of black in a lot of the collections. You know, collections you wouldn't expect it from, like Versace and Chanel. You know, you might expect it from a Rick Owens or a Comme des Garçons, but you know the amount of black is is very noticeable. Uh, but there's also that. Hope and optimism that that is shining through. Uh, we're seeing it through color. Uh, we're seeing it through material. We're seeing it through embellishments, whether it's fringe or sequins. We are definitely seeing that optimism come through.
0: Mm. You've mentioned black. I mean, interesting that Valentino presented sixty-six looks. Almost all of them were black and mm-hmm. white. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, mm-hmm.
0: Giorgio Armani, again, a lot of of beautiful black, black velvet but mixed in with blue, which is a signature. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about mood. The, the shows are always, I mean, you could feel a mood if you were sitting there. What were the moods that were translating when you
3: were, say, surfing
0: Vogue Runway?
3: Well, I think the first thing is, I think the mood is moody, right? <laughs> um, I think that to try to put your finger on a mood is is very tricky. But that said, I think what we are seeing are practicality, frivolity, uh, a sense of escape, uh, protection, and even this idea of going back to work. And that I think adds up to a bit of you know schizophrenia. But that is also the world that we. That we live in. And, you know, we are doing things day to day at this point. Um, Every day, something shifts or changes, you know, restaurants may be reopening for indoor seating. We're seeing, you know, more and more traveling happening. And I think designers are trying to create what they think we would want for those moments. You know, if there were an overarching idea behind these collections, I would say there's definitely an eye towards what is essential You know, uh, I think the fact that we saw houses like Dior present jeans and not only did they present jeans, they literally paired it with a sweater and flats. I loved that. Did you love it? I loved it because
0: the denim is really beautiful blue, those red Mm -hmm. shoes that I love that color contrast of red and blue. And then just that beautiful kind of
3: trophy sweater. Mm -hmm. And it just
0: looks so lovely. It looks luxurious, but casual, just super Mm -hmm. elegant.
3: Mm -hmm. I mean, I always love a ballerina and a jean Mm. and a a cozy sweater. And it was definitely interesting to see that come down the runway. Mm. But I think people also, if we were to apply a mood from the consumer perspective, I think that people want to feel normal again and they want to feel Like themselves again
0: let's talk about the notion of back to work and and certainly a garment that signified that to me which I saw in many collections from Etro and Versace for both men and women because we're seeing clothes for men and Mm -hmm. women now presented in tandem but I really noticed a return of the blazer or the Mm -hmm. jacket at Chanel the jacket was done every which way did you notice that
3: Yes. And I think, I'm not sure, but for me, it feels like there's an overall sense of wanting to be safe and strong and protected and smart, right? I think the blazer also ties back to the cocoon coats that we're seeing. Every collection seemed to have an oversized coat. And again, I think it's this overall feeling of safety and ensconcing yourself whether it is in a blazer or in a cocoon coat it's that top layer that is a shield between you and the world a world that has been very unkind to us this past year let's
0: talk about footwear definitely something that really came over loud and clear dress shoe i don't know not so many boots Mm -hmm. boots were everywhere
3: Again, it's this idea of what is essential and what is practical. We saw it at Chanel. We saw it at Dior. We saw it at Ferragamo and Fendi. Again, I feel like it plays into this idea of being ready, uh, ready for uncertainty. You know, boots to me feel like you are ready for winter. You are ready for battle. You are ready to attack anything, and you can do it knowing that you're going to be steady on your feet. Come fall. What will you be wearing, Rebecca? Oh, Bronwyn, if we've learned anything from this conversation, I have no idea what I will be wearing in the fall. But I will say I would like to go back to wearing heels. I really miss wearing gorgeous shoes.
0: That was Rebecca Suardi. She's a fashion columnist for Forbes.com you have been listening to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave. On the next episode, you'll meet one of Rodeo Drive's fashion leaders.
2: Stefano Ricci, which has probably the finest men's clothing uh, anywhere. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to the factory and see how they make the accessories as well as the clothing and everything is handcrafted by the, the finest artisans. It's really quite impressive.
0: Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is presented by the Rodeo Drive Committee with the support of the City of Beverly Hills, the Heyman family, to Rodeo Drive, Geary's, and the Beverly Hills Conference and Visitors Bureau. Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is written by Francis Anderton, with editing and audio production by Abishai Artsy, Brian Banks composed the theme music. Livia Mantoul and Callie McConnell are the production coordinators. The executive producer is Lynn Winter. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Share it with your friends. Join us on Instagram at Rodeo Drive. See you on the street.